0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Truth to Faith podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Steven. Today we have a special guest. We have Jeremiah from the Field to Fork Farms in Texas. How are you doing, Jeremiah? I'm doing great. Good Good to meet you. Nice to meet you, for sure. So So where do you want to start? Um...
1: Yeah, if you have any questions about farming, I can answer those. And then I can just talk about um, different types of farming. I know you said you just, you know, in the first few seconds we were talking, you said you're an inner city guy. So I could actually talk about a lot of things that people could do in the inner city. But I, I do think that food production, being able to produce your own food and having access to people that produce their own food. Is going to be uh, an important way to go here in the future. It's already important now as things continue to uh, get more draconian yeah. in the world. I think it's going to be good for people to have their own food or their own access to food.
0: Well, that's that's why I was especially in the Um, because that's my feeling as well. I know they're gonna as they have time and time again throughout history, they're going to try to starve us out. Um, and I believe, like, if if enough people have small gardens, or like you said, we know, you know, we all could work together, I feel like that's really our only defense. Because if they are in charge of the food, which they basically are, you know, a lot of people in the cities are going to be screwed.
1: Yeah, yeah, the city would be the hardest place, is going to be the hardest place to be when they start doing this stuff. Um, and, and they're already doing it. I mean, they, they've moved pretty far forward since COVID. And a lot of what they did, a lot of what I think they've done to kind of move that agenda forward is just jack the price up on everything so high and make it so hard for people to afford to, to buy anything uh, even in just going to the grocery store and buying groceries has become really, really expensive. But when you talk about being able to put yourself in a position where you can feed yourself, or you get a community of people together who could support a community, the cost of real estate has gotten so high. Uh, rent, you know, whatever, whatever aspect of cost you're looking at in terms of living expenses in the last three years has gone up exponentially. So uh, I, I think that's all part of this agenda to get people to a point where they can be more easily controlled. And that's kind of the phase we're in right now. But as uh, hopeless as that can sound, if people get creative and they kind of come together and they they do start, study different farming strategies and they get out and meet kind of local, farmers in or around their city, I think that's a good way to go. Um, but people really should begin being more supportive of like farmer's markets. And then even discussing the possibility of not even going through the channel of the farmer's market so much, but could you go directly to the farmer and buy what you need from them and or have them come to you? So I know uh, I'm about, I used to live in Austin and I still have a lot of connections in Austin. I'm in East Texas now. And uh, I was talking to some friends of mine in Austin last week and they know that we raise chicken and we're raising. So we raise pasture chicken. Everything I do is a regenerative. I can explain what regenerative farming is here in a little while, but we do pasture regeneratively raised chicken. We do grass fed beef. And one of the things that they were asking me is if I'd be willing to drive to Austin to deliver our product and i was just saying if you can get enough people together get like five or ten families together that all want to buy one big bulk purchase then i can make the three and a half hour trip to austin to deliver what they need uh you know it's just got to be worth time of the farmer in terms of gas or in energy and time because three and a half hours i'm not working here i'm is I, you don't get that time back, you know what I mean? So, um, but it's, it's much more feasible than people think. And it's, it's a lot better than relying on a system like the grocery stores.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to, so I, I grew up in Boston, mass. I grew up in the projects in South Boston, so it was literally the concrete jungle and, I ended up moving out to the suburbs with my ex-wife and we separated, but I stayed out here. So I live in Franklin, Mass, which is pr- like, it's probably like 45 minutes to 50 minutes away from Boston. So I'm not in the thick of it no more. Like it's, there's woods around here. I have a few farms around me. And now that I've been out here, I you couldn't pay me to move back to Boston. You know, I if someone gave me a yeah, in Boston, I wouldn't go back there. But uh yeah I, I, so I, I, I've been wanting to grow a garden and I've kind of been going real slow and this year I was amped up springtime. I'm like, I'm gonna make a little garden. so I bought um, about 10 five gallon buckets uh, because I live in like a condo and I got seeds from somewhere I don't even, it was it must have not have been a reputable place because what happened was they were all pumpkin seeds even though it said it was squash and zucchini it was all pumpkin seeds and i you know i've never grown that so i i didn't even realize it until they all started growing i'm like wait orange flowers i'm like they're all pumpkin seeds so next year i'm getting reputable seeds i ain't messing around
1: yeah there's uh there's some really good seed companies i can give you names of um Seeds are one thing. So, 2021, seeds was like there was definitely a seed shortage uh, after COVID. I, I think there's going to be more of that. One thing I would encourage people to do is find local farmers who do seed saving. Because if you were to buy from a farmer who's been raising plants, you know, vegetable, whatever, fruit from seed, in your area for a long time, or or they bought seed from someone who was raising, you know, produce there. What what you have is is something called epigenetics. I don't know if you've ever heard of epigenetics, but epigenetics is like long term genetic, uh, minor genetic alterations that make an animal or a plant more adaptable to its to its environment. It's not evolution but it's that you're selecting for certain traits. So if you planted 30 tomato plants and out of those 30 tomato plants, five of them did really well in, in, you know, kind of difficult conditions there in Boston, say you had, a or in mass, say you had a dry summer or whatever it was, the conditions weren't optimal, but you had five plants out of those 30 that did really well. Then you'd save the seed from those five plants. And then, you would use those five plants the seed from those five plants your next year and then if you had other plants that did even better you would save that seed and and you do the same thing with cattle so you know we raise cattle and one of the things I'm in east texas so we look for cattle that are heat tolerant can they can they stand the heat and do well in the heat and thrive can they maintain a good body condition and continue to keep weight on in the summer, even when it's hot and dry, um, and the forage isn't as good. Can they do well on poor forage? Can they, uh, do they, if it's a cow, does she have a healthy calf every year? Does she have a hard time breathing calves? If it's a bull, um, does it have like a real masculine look and you're examining their body and you're looking at different aspects of them that you, you want for like an optimal bull. And then, If you feel like you've got one, then you're probably going to do like semen testing and stuff like that. And you're, you're really getting into the genetics of this animal and how well it's doing. And then the ones that do the best, you're always going to select for. And the ones that don't, those are the ones you're going to send off to the processor to be turned into meat, or you're going to sell them. It's the same thing with plants. So and that's kind of how epigenetics works here. I mean, it's much more complex than that, but you're selecting for kind of optimal traits. Um, so what I would say is find a local seed guy who's or person who's been doing it for a long time or as long as possible. Um, and then there are companies that you can order from, but you, I, I think you want to go local number one, because they're going to be raising plants in your environment. And number two, it's a lot easier to drive somewhere and pick up seed, especially if there happens to be some sort of event like COVID was a big catalyst for people to want to start farming and gardening. Lots of people started farming and gardening during that time. And they kind of felt like it was important to learn how to do that. <clears throat> when there's big events like that, you don't want to be relying on having to order all your seed from a catalog and stuff like that. If you don't have to, it's, it's good to know a local person you can go to, to get that stuff.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I literally, have a farm probably 10 minutes walking distance behind me. It's They mostly have like um, apples, but they grow vegetables and stuff too. So maybe I'll go down there and introduce myself. I have a question. This might be a stupid question, but I got to ask it. When I'm growing vegetables, right, so I plant them, do I just – do I have to – So if I don't touch it, will they just grow and vegetables grow, or is there something I have to do to make the vegetable grow? It
1: depends on your soil. So, you know, you could go buy, like, a good soil mix, and you could grow something in that soil, um, and it would do well for a season or two. But if you're not replacing what you're taking out, then eventually that soil is going to go – go bad. It's going to basically turn into dirt. There's a, you know, there's a difference between dirt and soil. Dirt is mostly just mineral matter. There's not much going on organically in dirt, but in soil you have it's soil is a living breathing thing. It's made up of tons of different organisms and it's basically an ecosystem within itself that, needs outside input to support that ecosystem. So, and this is where you get into, this would be a good kind of introduction to regenerative farming. So in regenerative farming, what what you'll notice in Texas, especially, if you were to see 99% of cattle ranches or cattle operations, or probably even 99.9, to be honest, 99.8 are called, what uh, would be called conventional operations. So they have a big area, They fence it off. They let the cows go. The cows can go wherever they want. They can graze whatever they want. And eventually what will happen if you don't, if you have, you know, too many cows in there, or even the right number of cows, if you don't rest certain parts of that pasture, what they're going to do is just graze everything down to nothing. And then you start getting what's called overgrazing overgrazing just happens when an animal comes back and grazes a plant too soon in the cycle of that plant. So you'll have grass and say your grass is, you know, I don't want to get too technical here, but winter cool season grasses, they're going to, and like my winter isn't like your winter, right? In Texas, you can still grow a lot of things pretty late into what you would call like the dead of winter. Like I, I can be growing grass here in Texas, mid to late November, even early December, Whereas in Massachusetts, like it's everything's probably under snow there and it's super cold. So, you know, each you gotta think about the different ecosystems, but we're coming into our cool season now here in Texas. So we're gonna get a lot of new grasses that thrive in the cool season and the summertime grass, you know, the warm season grasses are gonna start to go dormant because they can't outcompete the cool season grass. <clears throat> we're going to let those grass grow to a certain point. We're going to bring our animals in to graze them. And what we use is electric uh, stands of polywire. So I have this these big reels of wire and I have what are called pigtail posts or ring top posts. Um, and so I can set these posts up wherever I want. And it's it's basically called, you call them paddocks. So I never let my animals roam where they want to go they're always confined to a certain area. I let them graze that area. They leave all their manure behind. They leave all their urine behind. All of that manure and all of that urine is full of microbes and microbes are what feed the soil. So there's microbes in the soil that need to eat. And then those microbes are actually um, responsible for releasing nitrogen and for uh, storing carbon and all kinds of stuff like that. And they communicate symbiotically with plants. So when you add things back to the soil, you're adding organic matter and things that microbes need, then those microbes are able to transfer those nutrients to plants. And in exchange, what a plant will do is photosynthesize. So it will take in sunlight and then it will create its own food. But what it will also do is excrete, um, basically carbon compounds into the soil that those microbes need so it's sort of like sugar so in exchange for the sugar that the plant is willing to excrete the microbes in the soil will give the plant things back to it that it needs nutrient wise that it can't get from its own roots so this is how you feed soil so this is why when you if you just get into produce farming you'll find that you'll hear a lot of talk about compost, you know, you're going to grow and then you're going to put compost down on your soil and people have compost piles and stuff like that. That's because you always need to be putting nutrients back in. And what regenerative farming is, is, you know, you have, you have an area, you've let it grow to a certain point, you bring your animals in, they graze that area, they disturb that area, then you let it rest and they're leaving all that organic matter behind. And that organic matter breaks down into the soil and then it feeds the soil. It's the same with produce farming. So when you put your plants in and you let them grow after that plant, let's say, cause most plants have like a, a pretty short life cycle for harvesting. Like you might plant something in 45 to 90 days later, it's ready to harvest. And once that harvest has been done, if you're gonna do intensive cropping, as soon as one thing's done, you're gonna plant another. But in between planting them, you're going to put that compost down and you're going to put nutrients back into the soil. Um, So if you just leave something and you don't water it, uh, it's probably not going to live. If it does, if you get enough rain there to where you can just put something in a bucket and set it out and it grows and you're able to get tomatoes or squash or whatever off of it. If you don't then start putting nutrients back into that soil, eventually that soil is just going to die on you and it'll just oh. become dirt. You can bring it back. It can always be brought back.
0: All right, so then if I take care of the soil, because I wasn't sure. Like, I literally don't know anything. Um, So in my mind, I was wondering, I'm like, do I need bees? Like, do bees need to come? So it's just the soil. I need to make sure the soil has enough microbes in it.
1: Yeah, and that's all compost is. Like, I'm sure you've heard of compost. You know, gardeners are big on compost. compost. Compost is an organic, rich you know, uh, microbe, uh, substance, basically microbe rich substance. And you're putting that down and it's, it's going to feed. It isn't just feeding the plant. See, a lot of people think you put compost down and and it's feeding the plant and sort of because that, that compost has all those microbes in it. So those microbes are helping feed the plant. And then the plant is helping feed the microbes and it gets more and more technical, the deeper you want to go. But like, I see that you're uh, a believer, obviously, you know, and <clears throat> um, if you want to, it doesn't work for everybody, but in my opinion, you can't really study. So I don't know how people study soil and how soil actually works and not understand that they live in a creation. It's way too intricate and it the system works way too well just to for us to live in some random occurrence that happened from an explosion in space. It all works totally perfect. So um, yeah, I've actually listened to PhD soil scientists do uh, discussions on various aspects of farming and trip up and talk about creation over and over and over. I was listening to a conversation where finally this woman apologized. She kept saying, Oh, unless you're an evolutionist. And if you're an evolutionist, you could say it evolved like this. But you could tell in her mind there was no room whatsoever that any of this could be random, could have been accomplished through random chaos and evolution, that this is intelligently designed. And there was another PhD scientist who spoke up and finally said, stop apologizing. It's obvious we live in a creation. Like he was saying, you can't study this stuff and not see that we live in a creation. Anybody who really studies the intricacies of this, um, it's impossible, in my opinion. I don't know how they do it. I know they're they're out there because uh, atheism and agnosticism is, is rampant in the science world. But um, in my opinion, it's like glaringly obvious that it's all intelligently designed.
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, everything. I mean, our bodies, just all the systems throughout the earth, I mean, it's mind-blowing. It, it had to have been a creator, you know. I know it was. Yeah. But, um, what I was going to ask you, so I, I seen a guy on the Internet once. He, um, I mean, again, it's the Internet, I know. But he had a lemon tree, and he grew another lemon tree. And then he was like, he said in the Bible, I think he said in the Bible, it says for the first three seasons, don't eat the fruit, the fruit or the food. And then the fourth season, you get the very first one to God. And then he said the following season, he showed these lemons that were huge. So I don't know. Do you ever hear anything like that?
1: Yeah, I have. I thought it was five, actually. I thought it was, was for it the five first. seasons. OK, I think it's for five seasons. You don't you don't need it. Um, I have heard of that. I don't know many people that do it. And I and I actually want to do things like that on my Farm, but we we are a production farm and we're a business and I have a partner in this business who he's a believer, but we come from very different places. I'm more of like a, I think, I, I think the, what they would call the Torah, which a lot of people think Torah is Judaism, but Torah really just means the instruction. So I think the instructions that were given in the Old Testament are still valid today and we should be doing them. I don't think... I don't know if it's a salvation issue and I'm not, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, you know, because obviously look how many different denominations there are in the faith and look how, I mean, it's really hard to get people to believe one thing within this faith, right? Like you might have a completely different, most, most people don't believe what I believe. It's, it's far fewer people believe what I believe and he's Orthodox. But what I would like to do is, once we get an orchard established, I, I would like to let it rest for five years. But that's five years that you've put time and energy and effort into. And from a business standpoint, it's like, oh, man, how are we supposed to make this work? You know, we spent this money and we put this. You have to care for an orchard. You're you're, you're going to have to put time into it. So we put labor into it. We've put we've invested in it and we're not going to begin to see a return for five years. But just like you're saying. Um, I think ultimately what you would get after that five years would be far better. And I also know that, um, when you, if, especially if you're digging up ground and you're planting trees, you're actually breaking up. So there's a, I know, you know what mushrooms are. So mushrooms spring up from what's called mycelium beneath the soil. So mushrooms don't just like pop up out of nowhere below the level of the soil, there's, there's a massive, massive network of fungus called mycelium. And it's always looking for organic matter to break down and mycelium grows very, very slowly. It takes a long time to build these mycelial networks. Mycelium works symbiotically with plants as well. So bacteria work symbiotically with plants and fungus works symbiotically with plants. And below the below the surface of the soil, mycelium will build these neural networks, they look like neural networks, like the neuro- the neurons in your body, like the nerves that run through your body. Mycelium looks very similar. And it will, you know, kind of wrap itself around the root and it will exchange nutrients with the root that is down slowly at surface soil. And then when you see a mushroom, that's where mycelium has sent up basically a fruiting body. So that mushroom has come up, it's gonna release spores and then it's gonna die. And those spores are gonna spread and then that's gonna help grow more and more mycelium. Um, When you plant a tree or you plant in your garden or anything like that, you're actually breaking up that mycelial network in the soil and it takes a really long time for it to grow back together. So I theorize that part of God's reasoning for wanting you to wait, whether it's three years or five years or whatever is for everything to kind of rebound and grow back and establish a really healthy soil biology around that plant before you start to harvest anything from it. It's going to be, because when you get, like, one of the reasons we don't get as much minerals or nutrients from our, like, if you were to look at the uh, the nutrient content of a, you, you brought up a lemon tree a minute ago, a now versus 200 years ago, a lemon 200 years ago would be much more nutrient dense than a lemon now. Because of the chemicals that we've used in our soil and because of our farming practices now, we... We're not getting as much nutrient, we're not getting a mineral content, as high vitamin content and stuff like that from our foods as we used to. And it has everything to do with our farming practices, which is really our soil practices. So if you were to read through, you know, the old what they call the old testament, and you were to look up laws for farming, and you were to follow those laws, I would be willing to bet that you would be able to grow healthier food than much healthier food than the average farmer. I'd say that it would be harder because you're going to delay certain aspects of that cycle. And in farming, it's like, you're trying to plant and get your harvest as soon as you can, can cash, you know, if we're talking business, you're trying to cash flow your business here. So you want to, I invested X amount of money in seeds and I need to get that money back by selling this product that I've grown. But if you're doing homesteading and kind of farming, then it's easier to do this kind of stuff.
0: What about um, electric culture? Have you heard Do you know anything about that? Because I, I watched a few podcasts on that and that was super interesting. Do you know anything about that? So
1: I haven't practiced it yet, but I've looked into it quite a bit. Uh, I have a PDF that I'll send you uh, from one of the leading experts of the late 18, early 1900s. Yeah, I think electroculture is very real. Uh, I think plenty of people have demonstrated that it's effective. It makes sense to me because we live in an electromagnetic realm. And when you're utilizing the energy of this realm and how it operates yeah, then it, it, and that's kind of what you're doing with electroculture is you're harvesting that energy and putting it into the ground to help promote growth, uh, with your plant. So yeah, 100%, 100 I've heard of it. I'm not an expert on it. Um, but once we have our production produce area going, it's definitely something we're going to be utilizing. And I've been trying to think of ways I could do it in our pasture. Like have even thought about like could I build sort of like almost like copper trees um i also don't want to create a bunch of lightning rods out in our pasture for our cows or our animals so i have to think about that because they probably need to be about 20 feet tall you know yeah. um and here in east texas we get really storms so it's it's not uncommon for un- unfortunately it's not uncommon after a storm for people to go out and several of their cows are dead from getting hit by lightning or something you know so
0: yeah because when I when I started um, hearing about electric culture and looking into it to me it made sense you know something that worked for us that you know gave us abundance you know the Rockefeller schooling took it away and hid it away you know they love to take away useful things that give us abundance they want everything scarce
1: yep yeah I, I agree with that 100% And dependent on their system, I mean, these are the families that heavily promoted chemical agriculture and got us away from natural farming and they, and they've got people convinced like you have to use these chemicals that people think spraying pesticides, spraying fungicides, spraying herbicides, they think that's farming. They don't understand that that is not it's not farming and that's an industry. And I think it's way more insidious than uh, them just trying to make money off of a product. I think it's control. I, I think they 100% know how detrimental it is to people's health. And I genuinely think um, if, you know, if you're know if you going to look at it from a biblical standpoint, I think these people have a uh, deals with the devil and they're doing what they can to destroy the earth and destroy us, you know? And, um, it's in my opinion, it's much more than they're just trying to, they're creating a product and trying to make money. That's part of the equation, but it goes deeper than that. You can, it's, it's hard to find. There were a few years ago, I was doing research on soil and it would, it was easier to find articles where you could see that in the early 1900s, they understood that some of the chemicals they're using now, were horrible for the soil and they were horrible for people's health. And a lot of these articles are like almost impossible to find now because they scrubbed the internet of this information. And, um, and, uh, I think they 100% knew back then, once they started using these things, how it would affect people's health generations from now. So like if you look at the Rockefellers and their involvement in modern medicine, and what they've done in medicine as well. The same companies that produce chemicals for agriculture also produce pharmaceuticals. So they're poisoning you with agricultural chemicals and then they're saying they have a solution for you. And it's all, especially longer ago, these were the exact same companies and they still are. I mean, look at like Bear Monsanto, You know, Bear is supposed to be a medicine company, a medical company. They create medicine, they're famous for aspirin. Um, but they also own glyphosate and, uh, cancer fighting drugs and stuff like that. So they know that glyphosate causes cancer and then they turn around and sell
0: drugs to fight cancer. You know, it's,
1: it's
0: crazy. That's wild because I, I heard recently that, um, when the Spanish flu happened in the early 1900s, I believe that's. You know, there's dairies that they actually pushed that so that they could push aspirin. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not too sure on it. But uh, I was, the other thing was um, there was a regenerative farmer on Joe Rogan. Did you see that? He had a big uh, seen. Down yeah, south.
1: Will Harris from Georgia. Yeah,
0: because when I was watching that and he showed his water, the water coming from his land to the neighbor's, I mean, that was so eye-opening, like, it blew my mind. Like, his water was nice and clear, and that was, like, literally, like, dark and murky, full of chemicals. And yeah. I, I can't even imagine what that does to the local people. Exactly. Well, and so
1: here in Texas, I mean, anywhere in the South, water is a, is a big deal. Um, we have a lot of droughts, and we, ha- we, we don't have a lot of access to water for several months out of the year due to the heat and the lack of rain so anytime you lose that amount of water in a rainstorm is a big problem. And they've taught people erroneously that they should be farming in these ways that not only are they spraying chemical and they're causing these, er these erosion events or these water runoff events through the chemicals that they're spraying, but also through tillage. I mean, most farmers, like if you were to drive across the Midwest, they're almost all raising corn or soybeans. And as soon as that, season is over they're going to till all that stuff in because their idea is like okay whatever organic matter is left i'm going to put it back in the soil the soil is going to break it down i'm creating organic matter and i'm preparing the soil for next year and then in the spring they're going to till they're going to turn everything up again and then they're going to plant their rows of whatever it is that they're growing every time you till you're breaking up that mycelium network that we talked about and you're breaking up any roots that are in the soil. And so you're exposing soil. And then once you expose soil to the elements, as soon as it rains, you're going to lose tons and tons of topsoil. So what he was kind of showing in that video is all the runoff, all the topsoil runoff that comes from the other farms. And he was showing how different his water looks because his land actually holds water because he has healthy soil and he's got a, a healthy functioning water cycle. When that water hits the ground, it begins to infiltrate. It sticks because his ground is acting like a sponge. So all those roots are acting like a sponge because he has healthy, uh, well-aggregated soil. And how you aggregate soil is through microbes. Bacteria secrete chemicals that actually aggregates. It, It acts as a glue and it binds soil together. But healthy soil is also very porous. So it'll be bound together with that water can can infiltrate and then will the way that he farms he's promoting that mycelial network below the soil as well so when that water hits the ground and it it starts to infiltrate the soil if you've ever cooked mushrooms in a pan you'll see that you start cooking them and all of a sudden there's all this water in the pan well that's exactly what's going on below the soil that that mycelium is acting like a sponge and it's soaking up that water and soaking up that water well, when you break that mycelial network over and over and over and it can't get established, it it can't act like that sponge. So you start to lose water. If you don't have roots and you don't have things to capture water on top, it's going to run off. If you don't have mycelium and well-aggregated soil, it's going to run off. So that's um <clears throat> that's that's kind of what he was demonstrating in that video. Or that's that's a little deeper look at what was going on there. But Will Harris is hands down, one of the best farmers and ranchers in the world. I mean, 100%. In the last 30 years, I would say he's one of the the top, top guys.
0: Yeah. So that that chemical that you said earlier, that begins with a G, um, somebody said like people that are gluten-free, people believe that they can't eat the wheat, but is it because their body can't process the wheat or is it because that chemical is on the wheat that's causing the gluten-free allergy <clears throat> so
1: yeah it, it i think what happens is it just destroys your your gut and you can't wash this stuff off it's in the food you know so when they uh, harvest wheat they're harvesting wheat soaked in glyphosate there's certain vegetables that you're going to buy at the store and if you're not buying organic vegetables they're, they're saturated with glyphosate. Um, so I, I know that it also binds minerals. So a lot of times minerals, people will do like soil samples and stuff like that. And it'll show that their mineral levels in that soil are low. I I don't, I don't think it's so much that the mineral levels are low, although I'm sure that happens in some cases. I think it's that the glyphosate has, has, Binded these compounds. So they're not freely available. Um, And. It takes time to rehabilitate that any ground that's been heavily soaked in glyphosate for years, it can all be rehabilitated, but I'm, and they'll, they'll tell you that the life cycle on these things is fairly short on these chemical compounds, but it's not true. I don't think that's true at all. And uh, there's a study that came out recently where they found I don't remember how many people they did. They tested a bunch of people's blood, like 80 something percent of those people had glyphosate in their body, you know? So these chemicals are, they're everywhere. And you brought up, uh, lemons earlier. So orchards are the way that they teach like modern, how to, how to manage an orchard in modern time is all chemical dependent. It's all wrong. They teach people to strip the ground down to basically nothing like dirt. Uh, They use a ton of fungicide because they'll tell you that if you don't use fungicide, fungus are going to attack your plants and they will. But the way to combat the uh, non-beneficial fungus and non-beneficial bacteria and and non-beneficial insects, the way to combat that is through healthy soil but they have they don't teach healthy soil practices it like i've taken texas a&m which is one of the most famous agricultural colleges in the world i've taken texas a&m orchard courses and they do it was terrible it was absolutely it's insane that people pay tens of thousands of dollars for their kids to go to these schools to learn how to farm the absolute wrong way and it's all done because the chemical companies pay for the grants for people to do research. They pay for the buildings, they help pay for salaries and, um, you're going to do the research they want you to do if you go to one of those schools. Um, so, and what they, all they teach and all they want to research is new chemicals or how to use the chemicals that are already in existence that these companies have And how it can increase yield and stuff like that because that's what they're always going to talk about oh we saw an increase in yield you know there was a greater yield but at what cost you know you're spraying poison on the ground now there's poison in the water there's poison in the food and there's poison in the people you know
0: so would you recommend so say because cost of living around massachusetts is super expensive you know i'm i'm not, i'm, I'm hum, i come from humble beginnings you know i own a home but things are tight would i be better off eating way less but buying 100 percent organic than just buy, buying regular food and having more
1: so certain things like there's been a lot of research that's come out on uh, especially beef now yes anytime you can eat organic it's better than not anytime you can eat regenerative it's better than and and you need to be careful about regenerative too because people can use a lot of chemical in regenerative farming so you should ask well you know what kind of chemicals are you using on your farm um and that's unfortunate because i feel like regenerative farmers shouldn't be using those things but You know, some of them do and they're, they're taught, they're taught to do that. And that's, that's just the way that it is. Hopefully it changes soon. But if you look up, um, data on grass-fed beef compared to, uh, regular beef, unquestionably grass-fed beef is healthier. And then if you look up data on regenerative organic grass-fed beef versus just grass-fed grass-finished beef. Regenerative is unquestionably healthier. So the healthier the soil gets, the healthier the food you're eating gets. Um, I would definitely always try to buy organic produce, always try to buy organic. If you're going to if you eat like pasta and stuff like that, try to buy an organic wheat. You know, Uh, if you can make your own pasta, that's that's the way to go or make your own bread. You know, these processed foods that people are just used to buying because it's convenient. Like they don't want to buy, they don't want to make a loaf of bread. They'd rather buy a loaf of bread. They don't want to make pasta. They'd rather buy pasta. If you are going to buy these things, buy organic and um, beef. Like we eat non-organic beef at times. It's just, you know, kind of the way it is. We, we buy it from farmers when we can. And there's just times where we have to run to the store and um, and buy some you know, we'll be processing our first, our first batch of cattle. We've been raising grass fed beef, uh, since October, and we'll be processing our first cows here pretty soon. Um, which, which will be great. But in the meantime, there's things people have to do and I don't think people should be terrified. If you go out and you buy non-organic grass fed beef, chicken is worse. So I would say any ruminant animal, an animal that grazes to get its food, um, and that has the ability to 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 for rumen where it's going to digest that food over and over and over. They've actually shown that cattle can actually process glyphosate fairly well, um, versus like a monogastric animal like pork or chicken. They have one stomach. It does. They there's no ruminant. So they're not fermenting and breaking that food down multiple times. And typically the diets for, uh, industrially, industrially raised chicken and industrially raised pork are, are terrible. It's mostly corn and soy. Um, so the chicken we raise is corn and soy free. We use a corn and soy free non GMO feed, and I would love to get an organic feed, but I also want to try to keep our product somewhat affordable for people. And it's really difficult to find uh, an organic feed that I can buy in bulk that I could keep our chicken prices at a price point that people could pay. You know, um, I don't think you need to eat less. What I would do is look up. Um, find your local produce farmers, try to buy from them seasonally. Uh, kind of stock up on some organic produce for the winter and eat more in the winter, I would eat more meat and stuff like that and squash. And like you talked about squash, pumpkins, potatoes, like those cold season vegetables, beets, that kind of stuff, root crops. And then in the summer, I would eat more of your like greens and fruits and things like that. You could eat fruits in the winter and store them. But... You know, a lot of these organic farms, if you can find them around you, you could ask them like, Hey, if I come pick my own stuff, can I, can I get it for a little less? Or do you guys ever do like, it's called you pick. So you pick it yourself. There are farms that will let you do that. And maybe you could stock up on apples and stock up on that kind of stuff, freeze them, do different things like that. But I would encourage if people are in the city and you've got a little extra money to work with budget wise, I would do, I would do that kind of stuff. But I don't think you need to eat less. You just need to probably tailor your diet. Like do a lot, do way less processed food. You know, the more processed food you can cut out, the better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I um, I heard somebody had said that, you know, what you said, that you should be eating seasonal fruits and vegetables, that that's actually better for you. Because like your body, when you eat seasonal I don't know something about the energy, and it's you know it makes yeah. Sense. There's a reason
1: why, like up where you live in the
0: winter, you probably like people probably
1: crave like soups, and that in the winter it's like people want to eat stew, and they want to eat soup, and they want to eat roast, and they want to eat this kind of stuff because it it has the nutrients that your body needs to sustain itself to sustain itself through the winter. And then in the summer, you're you'll probably notice like your diet changes and you want like lighter foods and more like fruits and stuff like that, because your body's probably in a position of like needing to hydrate more and needing to get electrolytes more than during the winter, um, even though it's important to hydrate year round. But I'm just I, I've noticed like my appetite will go up in the winter and down in the summer. I don't I don't need to eat as much in the summer, and I'll crave a lot
0: more
1: uh, fruits and stuff like that.
0: All right. Um, so I'm going to ask you one more question. I'll let you go. I know you're busy. So say I'm going to have a little garden, right, 10 buckets. I should – what if I have, like, every season switch out the soil, like have a compost pile to the side maybe, and then – every season switch the soils out and then add compost to it, like throughout the year, would that be a good plan for somebody with a small garden who just has like some five gallon buckets?
1: Yeah. So you don't need to switch the soil. You could just add that compost in. Okay. Here's some things I'd recommend. There's a, there's a method of making liquid compost called Jadam and it's J-A-D-A-M, it's a Korean method, you can make microbial solutions with Jadam way faster than you can make compost. Um, it is compost, but because you're, you're doing it in a liquid form, um, you're gonna be able to a- have access to those nutrients way faster, like within 30 days, versus compost is gonna take months. For you to get like for you to get a pound of compost is gonna take months and months and months versus for you to get a gallon of a a mic a really microbe rich liquid, uh you're looking at like maybe a month, you know. So look up what's called JDAM, Jadam, J A D A M. You can go on YouTube, look up um type that in, and he he actually has lectures. Uh, in English, so he's Korean, but he has lectures in English. If you go to his playlists, and I think it just says like English lecture, you can listen to him talk about Jadam. There's great books on Amazon. He's uh, the this guy. His name's Master Cho. He's released several books on Jadam liquid uh, fertilizer. It's called JLF. Jadam microbial solutions. Jadam pesticides. You can make your own pesticides out of just organic matter, like grass clippings, uh, clippings out of a tree, um, produce that's going bad. You can, you can make pesticides, you can make fertilizers. These are, are non-toxic. Like you're not gonna want to drink it. Right. But like, if it gets on your skin you're not going to get cancer or if you're spraying it around your home and you breathe it in, it's not going to kill you like, like these other chemicals that are sold. These are all 100% organic solutions. So you could add that to your soil, a little bit of that to your soil um, at certain stages in the life cycle of a plant, or when you're done harvesting, you add a little bit of that microbial solution, and that will go a long way to change your soil. If it's possible to do uh, boxes, like boxes, raised beds, if you have enough room to do that. Do it. I think what you're talking about, though, doing it in buckets, that's a great idea. I think a lot of people in cities, I would make sure to drill a hole or two in the bottom just so it's not holding too much water so that water can freely kind of move through there. Um, I would, here's what I would encourage people like, like what you're saying. If you're in the city and you've got the ability, let's say you've got like, I've, I've never been to Boston and I've never been to New York. I've I've never been to some of these places. I've been to Chicago. So in Chicago, people have a, like, I don't even know what they call them, flats or whatever, and they are multiple stories. And a lot of them will have a little courtyard or something in the back. If you can get sunlight back there, you can grow a lot of food. And if you can get several of your neighbors around you, if you can say, let's get to here, um, it, and do the math on Nathan Baker, you could probably feed, realistically, with one-eighth of an acre, you could probably feed five to ten families for a year. You could grow a year, year's worth of food, five to families, more. So if everybody got together and you say, okay, we've all got five-gallon buckets, five-gallon buckets hold X amount of soil, X amount of soil, if we were to lay all this out, this would equal X amount of acreage even if it's a fraction, fraction of acreage. So within that, within that fraction of acreage, we can grow so many pounds of food. So, all right, this year you grow tomatoes, you grow cucumbers, you grow whatever, green beans, you grow strawberries, you grow this, grow that. We're all going to grow. And then in the winter, it's like, okay, you're growing potatoes, you're growing sweet potatoes, you're growing squash, you're growing this. And, start canning, uh, maybe get a freeze dryer or something, start freeze drying food. You'll be amazed how much food people could grow. And over time, in the beginning, it's not gonna save you money because you have to buy things in order to do this. But over time, you're going to save money and the quality of the food that you're able to grow versus what you can buy is far Now, if you can buy from a local farmer who's doing these things, then you're good. But, um, if you can't, that's what I would encourage people to do. I mean, people in the inner city, if you've got like fire escapes with a porch, or if you've got a patio or you've got any way that you could set stuff out there to grow food, or if you can rooftop gardens or, uh, parking garages on the top floor, like any of that kind of stuff, I would encourage people to start doing it in the inner cities and get together with a community of people. If you've got friends and family who you think would be interested, um, definitely do that. But for you, all you need to add is compost or like liquid compost. And there's so many resources out there. I mean, YouTube is, I've learned 85% of what I know just through YouTube videos. Once you start to get into farming and you start to become interested in it and you start watching like Will Harris videos or Joel Salatin, or there are these people who are big in the industry. And then you'll notice, okay, he did an interview with this guy. I'm gonna follow that guy now, okay. I'm and, and so you start to like see how these in industry are connected in these smaller names, and you get to learn more and more. Like, like what guys like will Harry to talk about isn't it, it's not gonna help the beginner farmer that much, like, he's trying to reach people on a massive level to tell them why we should be making a switch to regenerative. agriculture. Their whole channel is about teaching you how to do it. Will Harris isn't, he's teaching people the importance of regenerative farming and he's demonstrating through their social media and blogs or interviews, how it works and why it's important. But he's not going out there and saying, okay, here's how you set up a paddock. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. This is why you do it this way. He's, too big for that almost at this point i'm not saying he's never done that but you know he's doing interviews with joe rogan he's not doing instructional videos but there are people who will instruct you on this stuff so um just kind of dig into it and and go but the fact that you bought all these buckets and you started doing it that's brilliant more people should start doing it and they should get together with friends and family and see like who would be interested in doing this and who would be good at it and um start kind of joining forces and certainly meat like I'm not a vegetarian. I don't think vegetarianism or veganism is even all that healthy because typically you have to supplement so much. There's no substitute in my opinion than for regeneratively raised foods that are building healthy soil and then utilizing those foods to get your, your nutrition, your vitamins and minerals and stuff like that. There's also various types of farming. One is called no till farming or low till farming. Um, so, uh, and we can do another podcast at some point, go deeper into some of these things if you want. But um, that would be my recommendation. And any soil you get, hang on to it. You know, you could have a compost pile and you could have these liquid compost solutions. You can be doing various things uh don't spray chemicals on your yard don't do that kind of stuff if you mow your own yard save your grass clippings grass clippings make great compost and all that kind of stuff new i mean you can shred paper and use it for the carbon in your compost you could use newspaper like yes there are chemicals in the ink and stuff but a lot of that stuff will break down and i'm really i'm saying these things for the the, the average person that lives in the city and it's like well i don't have I don't have access to all this stuff this guy's talking about. Anybody could go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy some buckets. You could probably find a local nursery around there where you can get bulk soil, where you could get bulk um, organic compost to get started. And then everybody's got food scraps and you can make your own liquid fertilizers and stuff like that out of food
0: scraps. So. Yeah, that, that was great, Jeremiah. I, I would love to have you on again um i really appreciate you coming on you know i god's been putting this on my heart to start this podcast and the devil you know has been in my ear telling me i'm not good enough you can't do it you're not smart enough and finally you know god told me just do it so i'm just doing it and he's been putting people um people like you are generous generous enough to give you time so you know, glory be to God. And I really appreciate you coming on and give me an hour. I know how busy you are.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it as well. And I think what you're doing is great. And um, keep keep doing what you're doing. I've got you and I can communicate. I've got access to some people that would, I think would be great to have on your show and uh, would help grow it. Um, and so I'll send you a, uh, a an invite
0: to a Discord server. Have you ever done Discord? um yeah i did it for a short while but i know what it is
1: yeah i'll send you an invite to a discord server where do you know who austin witson is
0: i've heard the name Austin. yeah he's good friends with
1: Dave weiss and okay he's he's like i mean honestly he's probably the leading like flat earth debater anywhere oh yeah I,
0: i just heard him recently yeah
1: yeah so he's in there a lot. Um, I mean, he's a super busy guy. I can't promise that he'd come on, but eventually, as you grow this thing, he's he's a pretty generous dude. It wouldn't surprise me at some point if he was willing to come on and talk for an hour. But that's a great place to meet people as well, and uh, I think you would dig it. And you you would you you can just listen in there, and you can hear like, okay, this is a really smart. This is a super smart person. I I think their take on this is interesting. I want to talk to him. So you'd get a lot of good ideas for guests.
0: Yeah, I would definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be cool. Thanks, Jeremiah. I I really appreciate it, brother. God bless you and your family. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day, brother.